0: Oh, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Jill Weber. You know me from the Order of the Mustard Seed, and I'm here with my friend, Sister Sally from Mucknell Abbey. Welcome, Sally. Thank you, Jill. It's uh, I got to know Sally a little bit Um Oh, I think it was Anglican religious communities events. That's uh, right. So we would get together when, when sort of traditional religious communities and young upstart religious communities like ours would get together and, uh, um, and yeah, just worship and pray together and learn from each other and, and I just so enjoyed getting to know Sister Sally. And, and she she paid us the honor of coming to visit us down at Waverly <laughs> Abbey. A little while back, she bought fudge. Everybody yeah. was talking about Sister Sally's fudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we, we plied her with all kinds of questions. You know, those of us who are exploring elements of, of monastic spirituality have so much to learn from those who are living in the tradition. And and so, Sister Sally, tell us a little bit about yourself and your context, sort of what you're up to and why.
1: Okay. Well, thanks very much for this opportunity to have this uh, talk with you, Jill. It's uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. And what I'd like to add to the ARC uh, conversations that we had, don't forget the laughter and fun. Oh, and the rock choir. The rock Uh, choir. Us all dancing together. That was so fun. Absolutely. The rock choir. Yes. It was uh, great fun as well, uh, as long with the serious and the silent parts. Yes. So, uh, as you said, I'm from Mucknell Abbey, and it's a, a traditional Benedictine Uh, Contemplative uh, Monastery in Worcestershire. Uh, We're semi-enclosed, we're not totally enclosed, so uh, if we wish to go out for our holidays, uh, we can go out and visit family and friends. Uh, But our main life and our, well, our life and our our main work uh, is uh, contained in the monastery. Uh, We pray seven times a day, and we all have our different responsibilities to uh, get going with. It's a busy and full life, but the framework is prayer.
0: The framework is prayer. I would love to hear just a little bit about your calling to the religious life, you know, right. and, and how God invited you to, to step into a lifestyle that's that's just shaped by rhythms of prayer, characterized by the pursuit of God's presence.
1: Mm. That's uh, how long have you got? <laughs> I'll condense it. Um well um at the first part of my life I, I was called to be a wife and a mother, and uh that very much was my vocation. And I had have three sons, and now I'm a grandmother. And um but God was very much part of my life from way back when I was a wee small girl and going to Sunday school with mum and dad. And God always centred in my life. But there came a point after my second child, actually, when I was questioned about my faith. And nobody actually questioned me up until then. And I had to really think about um why I wanted my baby baptized, why it was so important. And that really springboarded me into a deeper relationship with God. And at the point of baptism with my son, I I think it's fair to say that was the point I thought, I'm gonna to have to make these vows just quietly to myself. If I'm wanting to offer my baby to be, baptized, to be baptized, I need to make those promises, reaffirm those promises for myself. So that was the moment I, t- I took the vows that my parents have made on my behalf seriously. It prompted me to ask for confirmation. I I was gobbling down uh, God and the gospel and Christian books as if uh, there was no tomorrow and getting spiritual indigestion. I I was just on fire, on fire with God, couldn't get enough of it. (laughs) But then the honeymoon period ended and uh, I settled down into uh, a wonderful beginning of relationship with God. And as I deepened my awareness of God in my life, so did my prayer life deepen to the point where I I wanted to pray morning and evening prayer. I wanted to live my whole being, my whole life in prayer, not just on a Sunday morning or at uh, holy huddles in Bible studies, but the whole of my life, um, 24-7 that's amazing. So I I love the
0: gobbling God and the, mm,
1: the spiritual indigestion. yeah,
0: yeah, and mm. and and then settling into the longing for deeper communion with God. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, what did that look like in your life before you entered the monastery, in terms of deepening your your mm. really? It sounded to me like God issued you an invitation. Yes. Right? Sort of come. Come closer, come nearer. What, yeah. is it, what did it look like for you in your day-to-day life?
1: My daily day-to-day life? Um, because I was a busy mother with three young children, uh, they had to come first and their needs, getting them to school. And I had to find time to um, be with God in the morning and be with God. That was my desire. And because it was such a a deep desire, I found the time. I got up half an hour earlier and just had time with God, put Him first. Um, And in the evening, once the children were in bed, that was my desire to be with God in that silence, in that half an hour to pray morning and evening prayer. And in the middle of the day, if I didn't have time to pray sext, which is a midday monastic office, I would just, wherever I was, just pause and remember God. It's um, it's a relationship of love. There's no other way to de- describe it. And when you fall in love with someone, you want to spend time with them. Uh, They're never out of your thoughts, out of your hearts, whatever you're doing, and you long to be with them. And uh, sometimes you need to talk, uh, get things off your chest. But most of the time, you're just content to be in their presence and snuggle up with them on the sofa. And that's how it was with God, really. It was just... um, a deepening of the love affair, I guess, uh, with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, just longing to be with him.
0: (laughs) And eventually that that led you into, you know, uh, entering into a monastery. And and what does that look like for you now? And, uh, yeah, let's start with that question. What does prayer look like for you in the
1: context of monastic life? Well, it's, it's carried on in the same vein. I um, But within the monastery, the whole day is uh, structured to be um, pitted with prayer all through the day, seven times a day. I didn't have to. I don't have to find that time. That time is there. And in the monastic day, that's all that's required of you. To hear the bell, put down what you're doing at that moment, be it washing, laundry, in the kitchen, digging the garden. All that's required of you is to put down what you're doing and go into the oratory. And as we come into the oratory, we pause, we bow, and we set aside the, the next quarter of an hour, half an hour, for God alone, and our thoughts are are with him. And it was a great delight and a great relief, really, to be able to have everything that way round, to have the framework, and all that's required of me is to pray, not to take the children to school, although that was fine at that time. But this part of my journey is centered on, on God alone. And um, it's a freedom. I felt such a freedom in it that, um, yes.
0: You didn't have to decide every day, or you didn't have to decide seven times a day. Oh, no. should I pray? Shouldn't I pray? Mm. You know, it's just, it's just there. It's just
1: there. It's yeah. just there. But with it being just there, I don't want to... Uh, put over the the sense that it's all terribly romantic and wonderful and airy-fairy, it's a work because sometimes you're just at the point of completing a task and the bell goes. We were talking
0: about this when you visited, wasn't it? Exactly,
1: and the bell goes, and you think, oh, and then you think, oh, I shouldn't have thought. I should think, yes, Lord, but it's a work. It's a work, and uh, sometimes it goes well, and sometimes uh, it doesn't. And there's sometimes you can sit in choir saying the words and being uh, Sister Sally or Brother X, um, but your mind's thinking, I really ought to have put the veg on for lunch, or I really ought to. So, what I'm saying is, we still get wandering thoughts. Uh, uh, we still have to keep drawing ourselves back to God. We haven't got it all uh, uh, neatly zipped up in a bag.
0: <laughs> I think I remember a story of of a, a monastic speaking to Thomas Keating, and you know, talking about, oh, you know, what I've been, I try and sit down for twenty minutes of quiet prayer, and I find that I have to draw my attention back to Jesus, you know, a hundred mm-hmm. times, and they were Absolutely. feeling all terror about it, and Thomas' response was. Oh, you drew your attention back to Jesus a hundred times, right? And just uh you, you know, that's the invitation, right? To just yeah. draw ourselves back to yes. that living under his loving gaze and looking back up at him.
1: Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that is it occupies the whole of your prayer time. Uh, if you've got a lot on your mind and a lot to complete in the day, all the tasks. Your whole prayer time is caught up and just keep drawing it back into God, drawing it back into God. And then the prayer time is over. And I think, well, Lord, that was uh, me uh, at this moment in time. No guilt, no pangs of anything, just, well, I come as I am in in that uh, time. There are times, of course, for all of us, whether we're monastics or not, where we kneel in front of God or or assume our prayerful positions and God just lifts you and holds you and tenderly speaks and whispers in your ear. And those are the red letter days. Uh, And you feel totally enfolded in God. And uh, what um, loving father wouldn't want to spoil his children every now and again um, with that tender, loving embrace in prayer? Well, I think that's beautiful
0: and wonderful. And, and I, I've wondered sometimes if the gift of the monastics, um, you know, is I think part of us in more evangelical or free church traditions we expect like those high points so like, I'm just going to go up the mountain of the Lord and it's going to be glorious every single time. And yes, and I yes. think the gift of the monastics, at least the ones I've gotten to know, is, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the constant, I'm just going to set my face before the Lord mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. And again and again and again. And I'm not going to demand mm-hmm. any particular outcome or experience. And I'm not going to rate it by how many goosebumps I had. or Do you know yes, what I mean? Yes. and um yes. and so I think I think that's what I've really appreciated when I've chatted with friends of mine who are in yes. this in the yes. traditional religious life. And then it frees us from this this disappointment or this expectation of the heavens opening every single time. Because then we think if they don't open
1: every single time, we think, well, we've done it wrong. No. There's no wrong way. I I would emphasize that there's no wrong way. There's so many different ways to um uh, Pray to be with God, to live your life in God, with God, through God. Um, There's no wrong way. Even in anger, there's God in the midst of that, sorting it out. That's a prayer sometimes. Uh, How often we've said, oh, Lord, please help this person or help me. I'm in distress. Isn't that the Psalms? Isn't that the Psalmist crying out to God? From the bottom, the depths of their hearts. Uh, and Jesus, and to think that Jesus himself used those psalms. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Um, I mean, all those psalms are so seeped in history, and our Lord would have known them and prayed them. And that for me, um uh, as I take my breviary in my hand each day to to pray the Psalms, which is uh, what our office uh, consists of, um, mostly eighty percent, I would say, are Psalms, and um, to think of our Lord taking them in His hand and praying them—wow, that is just such a an amazing moment. Yeah, wonderful.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful! I, you know, thinking about that, we get to pray the same prayers that Jesus did. Yes. What a gift the Psalms are coming down yes. to us through the yes. through the centuries. And I have a friend who's a Benedictine oblate um, mm-hmm. back in Canada, and uh, I went to his. Uh, you know, so an oblate for those of you who aren't familiar is is somebody who uh, isn't in a monastery, but who tries to sort of take the Benedictine rule and work it out in their regular ordinary life and relationship with the local monastery. And so we went to him, he, you know, he did a season of preparation for that. And then we went down, we didn't know what to call, uh, what happened to him when, when he sort of stepped into whatever commitments he made as an oblate. So we said he got obliterated. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) uh, Lovely. (laughs) And so he just took the Psalms as you'd said, and, um, seven times a day and he just worked it into his work day and he created a little spot in his work room. And, and I thought right. it was just beautiful way of exploring that, you know, the the Benedictine tradition in, yes. in ordinary life. So much to learn yeah. uh, from your tradition. Talk to me a little bit about, because when I think about the Benedictine tradition, I think about prayer the seven times a day. And, um, and I think about hospitality you know and so i would love to hear what your journey around hospitality has been and how your benedictine spirituality informs your your day-to-day practice of hospitality
1: mm. well as you probably know hospitality is at the center of the uh, benedictine life and it's very interesting in the rule that the chapter on hospitality comes quite a long way into the rule uh, I think it's chapter fifty-three, and it talks about guests coming to the monastery. And it's after all the chapters where Benedict has talked about the psalms and the rhythm of the day, and and uh, the first word of the rule is, is "listen," uh, about listening. So hospitality, although it's the centre of our our rule, Benedict puts prayer. And all those offices of prayer, just before all the uh, the chapter on the guests. So prayer and hospitality go hand in hand. They can't go one without the other. I think hospitality in the world at the moment. Uh, you think about hotels or um, coffee shops, which are on every street corner. It appears at the moment. Um it's about people coming to lunch with you um, with a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine for dinner. Uh, that's the sort of view of hospitality, but Benedict says, yes, that's all good and well, but Benedictine hospitality, Christian hospitality, has to go deeper. And it's almost like a a sacrament because it's an outward and visible sign. You're welcoming somebody, but with that inward and spiritual grace that God gives you. So every time you welcome a guest at the monastery, there's this exchange, relational exchange of the Christ in you greeting the Christ in them without any uh, judgment, without any thoughts of their station in life. It's just two hearts greeting each other. And in the Benedictine rule, it's so important, this greeting of guests, that Benedict says we ought to make a full prostration at their feet. I mean, wow, Mm -hmm. Uh, to have somebody fall on their face at their feet, acknowledging the Christ in them. What would you do, Jill? If I said, hi, Jill, and went down on my my face? <laughs> you were like, oh. what? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. This is what Benedict is advocating. We don't do it at Mucknell Abbey, I have to say, but that's in the rule. It says also that we should wash their hands and wash their feet. And care for the stranger, and care for the guest. Um, so there's an awful lot of levels to hospitality, rather than the surf- a surface of just a meet and greet, if you like. Um, it's not the same as entertaining, is it?
0: And and I think the word, if I remember uh, it correctly, it's xenophilia, isn't it? So it's the it, you know, it's, it's that welcome of, of the stranger, welcome yes. of the other, welcome of the one who is not like you, as yeah. contrasted to entertainment, which is having your buddies over.
1: <laughs> That's right, which is all lovely and very good. And yeah. it is hospitality, but then it just goes that one step set more into the heart of what we're doing. And it goes right back to um, ancient Egypt, really, where hospitality was a necessity of life in the desert. If uh, you were a nomad going through the desert and you saw another tent and the weather was getting cold or the weather was getting bad, you'd go to the tent and they would fling, fling it wide and you could go in and enjoy their hospitality as you might die in the uh, elements outside. So um, yes, it it goes way back, way back.
0: So at Mucknell Abbey, what does your practice of hospitality look like in the context of your life there?
1: Well, um, in relation to what I've just said about the rule, uh, we do our best in the time permitted. I mean, when the bell goes at the front door, somebody is appointed to go and uh, welcome the the guest, and we take their bags up to their room and uh, show them where they're going to be, show them the refectory, and help them with anything they they want, and uh, welcome them to to the site. So. And then we're available for them, I guess, uh, throughout the whole of their stay, especially to new guests, uh, people who have never stayed in a monastery before, perhaps. So I would um, say, if, if you want to have a chat while you're here, if something crops up and you don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, uh, do come and ask. So to have time to listen to uh, people should they want to, or if they're um, sad about something, uh, just to say, if you want to talk, I'm available, and give that time and listen intently.
0: Mm. It's something just about that availability, isn't it? Holding space, Mm. being fully present. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. something for us to learn in our context a couple of things i'm um, threads that i'm pulling out of what you say when i think about members of the order of the mustard seed those of us who don't live in a a, a cloistered monastery you know mm-hmm. waverly abbey we're, we're not we're more active i always said there's there's two kinds of nuns <laughs> i probably have it wrong yes. this just but i'm like there's the the cloistered nuns and then there's the getting things done nuns. Yeah. The, apostolic <laughs> or, or the apostolic nuns. That's apostolic, right. yes. <laughs> yeah. Who would be nurses or frontline workers or, you know, all, nice. of, all of that. But both live the, this rich, rich life of, yes. of a life that is shaped around rhythms of, of prayer. Yeah. So for those of us who are just in our explorations of monastic spirituality, particularly in the OMS, you know, I think a couple of things that I'm hearing you say really valuable for us you you put prayer right down the middle of your life rather than trying to just tack it to the edges of your life yes right and because I think my experience has been if I just add prayer to my to-do list you know the tyranny of the urgent right or Mm -hmm. and and I think too my experience has been you know there's three enemies of prayer right the world the flesh and the devil (laughs) (laughs) and we don't realize the the Mm -hmm. the nature and and the the antipathy of those forces that are Mm. opposed to our life in God, you know? Mm. And, um, and so the way that that you, you know, shape your life around rhythms of prayer, first things first, right. Yes. Is, is presence. And then, and then that heart of hospitality. So maybe we don't live in a monastery, but, but maybe we can draw a larger circle around and, and family and welcome and, and look for the presence of Jesus. Yes, and the people that come our way. I think those are all just really helpful for
1: us. Yes, I mean when you when you gaze at Jesus and see his life as recorded in the gospels, and how he afforded hospitality to people, his his disciples are saying to. The crowds, go away, stop uh, bothering Jesus. But Jesus said, no, let them come to me. I want to listen to them. All the people that mocked and spat at him, uh, Jesus was present for them. All those different instances when he was tired, maybe, and that woman stretched out and touched the hem of his cloak. He didn't say, Oh, I'm so tired, I can't deal with this now. <laughs> yeah. He was present for her. Nothing was more important in that moment than that person. And that's how it went, right the way through the Gospels. Jesus was often, right, I don't think he was ever the host. He was always the guest of other people. Perhaps he became the host at uh, uh, the Last Supper, maybe. And yet. I don't know. It's it's something to ponder, isn't it? He was the guest of so many people, and he had time for everybody. And that's the hospitality and generosity uh, of the heart uh, of God. And that should be our heart. If we put on the mind of Christ, as we heard in the readings uh, a few weeks ago, maybe, Uh, Paul says, we've we've got the mind of Christ. so this is the mind of Christ to be hospitable to all around
0: us. I wonder when you're talking about hospitality and prayer sort of inextricably linked. You know, I've I've often wondered if as as hospitality is kind of a container grace that that even prayer is being hospitable to God's presence. Here I am, mm. Lord, <laughs> come and yes. knock yes. on the door, come and enter in, and I'll sup with you and you'll sup with me.
1: Yeah, you know, It's that being reciprocal, a yes. Yeah. And our body becomes the um, uh, hospitality of God. Mm-hmm. Our body becomes that. If our minds are alert, if our hearts are open, um, we become more Christ-like, if you like. We inhabit more of God. More of God, more of Christ can live in us mm-hmm. if we open ourselves wide. Yes. more of
0: Christ can live in us if we open ourselves wide. I think that's just beautiful and probably the best way to wrap up our time together. Sister Sally, could you pray for all of us who are listening?
1: I could, yes. Lord Jesus, we welcome you into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds. Come, inhabit our being. Help us to open ourselves wide and be hospitable to all those promptings of the Spirit and be hospitable to you who wish to dwell deep within us. And once we find this dwelling place that you inhabit within us, help us to be generous, to share with others the grace and the love of God which flows through us, in us, and with you in unity of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, remain and be with us and dwell in us, now and forevermore. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.